Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. One of the great blessings of my life is that I wake up Monday through Friday to go to a job that I love, <laughs> right? I work as a chaplain at the Massachusetts General Hospital. I remember a few months into my work at the MGH, I called my best friend and I said, dude, this is the best job in the world. People must not know this exists. I think everyone would want to be a chaplain. <laughs> and my wise friend responded, actually, Erica, I think a lot of people don't like hospitals or praying or being with sick and dying people every day. Point taken. While my job does involve praying and being with the sick and dying, it also involves poignant moments of connection with strangers. I ride the elevator with nervous and excited parents as they head home with their new child. I look at pictures of people's pets and grandchildren. I hear stories about trips around the world, and I get advice on the best place to get a slice of pizza in the North End. Every day is completely different. And every day I witness the deep wisdom and vulnerability of the people that I am called to serve. My primary clinical assignment is in the inpatient psychiatric unit. It is a 24-bed unit for adults who are experiencing a mental health crisis. Twice a week I lead a spirituality group for psychiatric patients. I, take, I make an announcement on the intercom and I gather whoever is willing to come around a table. Our table is an altar of sorts with the sacred objects being stress balls, tissues, candy, and a battery-powered candle. When my patients arrive, we are a motley crew. Psychiatric illness does not discriminate. If five people show up to my group, there's a good chance that there'll be an 18-year-old and a 75-year-old, a millionaire, and someone who'll be discharged to the street, a Catholic priest, and a pagan priestess not unlike a Unitarian Universalist church. <laughs> so what do, we, what do we talk about in this group? What do we talk about when we are all so different? As the chaplain, I want the conversations we have in group to build a sense of community and to help patients make meaning of their experiences. When I first began the group, I started with topics that felt, felt pretty safe, like gratitude and kindness. But as time went on, I realized I needed to trust the group to go deeper. I wanted the group to talk about forgiveness. But I was terrified. Talking about forgiveness means talking about pain. It means talking about suffering. I'm accustomed to talking about suffering in my daily work with the sick and dying. But what would it be like for someone who's experiencing a mental health crisis? Is it too soon to ask someone who survived a suicide attempt to think about forgiveness? Or someone with post-traumatic stress disorder from childhood abuse? 
What would talking about forgiveness be like for many of my patients who are angry and heartbroken because a family member had them hospitalized against their will? I decided to open the conversation with a quote that felt safe enough by Canadian Catholic theologian John Vanier. Vanier is most known for his work as the founder of the Lark Communities for people living with developmental disabilities. This is his quote. He writes, forgiveness, the act of loving my enemy, like forgiveness of self, is not a sudden event or a rapid change of heart. Most of the time, it is a long process that begins with a desire to be free, to accept ourselves as we are, and to grow in the love of those who are different and those who have hurt us or appear as rivals. It is the process of getting out of the prisons of our likes and dislikes, our hatreds and fears, and walking to freedom and compassion. Is there a line that stands out to you? I ask the group. Getting out of the prison of our likes and dislikes, someone said. It's not a sudden event, said another. Most of the time, it is a long process, said another. The conversation went on from there, stories about times when forgiveness has been possible and when it has not. Stories about how it can feel good to forgive and to be forgiven. And stories about what it feels like to have resentment, pain, and suffering that stings every day, feelings that cannot be erased. Forgiveness continues to be one of the richest topics we discuss in spirituality group. Rather than being afraid of how forgiveness might trigger my patients, I have learned that the yogis, saints, bodhisattvas of the inpatient psychiatric unit have wisdom about forgiveness that they want to share. The conversation continues changing and evolving as the people who sit with me at the table change because no one is in the hospital forever. I am the only one who is there each time, reading the same quote, asking some of the same questions, and when appropriate, sharing the wisdom of spirituality groups past. Today, with deep reverence for what has been shared with me at that sacred table, I want to share with you some of what I have learned about forgiveness. Let's start with that quote again. Jean Vanier reminds us, forgiveness is not a sudden event or a rapid change of heart. Every once in a while, someone in my group says, I just forgive people right away. I can't live carrying that negativity. But overall, the group agrees that forgiveness is a long process. You know those inspiring stories we hear sometimes, the ones on NPR, the last five minutes of the evening news, sometimes even in a sermon about the people who forgive so quickly, it's heroic? the stories of mothers who forgive the people who killed their children, or refugees who befriend the soldiers who force them from their homes. Those stories are inspiring and provocative because they are rare. For most of us, forgiveness does not come quickly. The emotional and spiritual wounds we carry from being hurt are like physical wounds. A broken arm can take 10 weeks to heal, a broken heart needs time too. And unlike a broken arm, we can't just put a cast around our heart and not use it. 
Even when we are hurting, we have people we need to care for. We have people we need to love. It takes time for our hearts to be strong enough to forgive. Forgiveness is also challenging because often our resistance to forgive comes from a place of self-love. We want to defend ourselves, advocate for ourselves, and protect our hearts from future pain. Someone once said to me, I want to forgive, but if I do, who will be there for the hurt little girl I was? Am I abandoning her? I think of this often. I think the process of forgiveness means that we need to figure out how to carry that little girl with us into the present, to show her that she is not alone and that no matter how awful her pain is, she can still have a life. To listen to her story over and over again like sand washing over a stone, smoothing the sharpness of her pain. Maybe someday she will be able to forgive. Maybe she won't. But telling her story means that that little girl is not abandoned. I heard her story years ago and I have not forgotten her. On her podcast, On Being, interviewer Krista Tippett asks South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu a question I have always wanted to hear him answer. She says, I wonder in the years that followed and in your experience of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, what did you learn about forgiveness that you did not know before? Tutu, the chairman of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which over the course of two years in televised court proceedings worked to heal the divisive, brutal pain of apartheid, says this. I was amazed, first of all, at how powerful an instrument it is to tell your story. I suppose psychiatrists understand that better than we. Just being able to tell your story, you could see in the number of people who for so long had been sort of anonymous, faceless, non-entities, just being given the opportunity to tell their story was a way to rehabilitate them. But it actually, it's a healing thing, he says. We had a black young man who had been blinded by police, by police action in his township, and he came to tell his story. When he finished, one of the panelists asked him, hey, how do you feel? A broad smile broke out over his face. He was still blind, but he said, you have given me back my eyes. Archbishop Tutu suggests that psychiatrists know about the power of telling our stories, and I would argue that people of faith and spirit do as well. That's why we return to painful stories and sacred texts of slavery, exile, and genocide. We canonize the pain and suffering of our ancestors and use those stories as allegories to help us understand suffering in the present moment. We tell our stories to each other over and over again with intention and vulnerability and love. As a chaplain, I listen to people's stories and I encourage them to keep telling the stories that need the most attention and love. And I have learned that sometimes, no matter how many times we tell a story, forgiveness is withheld by our desire for a particular outcome. Someone in my group said, in order to forgive, I need to know the other person is remorseful. They have to say, 
I'm sorry. Another group member said, I need to know the other person is capable of growing and changing. I want to know that they have potential to be a better person. When I heard these words, I thought to myself, yes, I want that too. I want to know the person who hurt me is sorry. I want to know that they will learn and grow and change. I want to know with certainty that they will never hurt someone else the way that they hurt me. But if that is the condition of my forgiveness, I may never be able to forgive. I'm reminded of the serenity prayer, and if you know it, I invite you to say it with me now. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. I do not have control over the heart of another person, whether they feel genuine remorse or have a desire to change. The process of forgiveness must go on, with or without the person who caused the pain. A woman in my group said, I just forgave my father. He died years ago, but I wasn't able to forgive him until just now. I have saved my favorite piece of wisdom from spirituality group for the very end, though if you saw the title of my sermon, you have a clue. A patient with a clear voice that suggested he had thought about what he was about to say for a long time said this. When someone says thank you, we know to say you're welcome. When someone says I am sorry, we should say I forgive you. I forgive you. I'll be the first to admit that when someone tells me they're sorry, whether it's for being late to a meeting or saying something unkind, I do not say I forgive you even when I forgive them. I say, no problem, don't worry about it, it's fine. You know. <laughs> I minimize the infraction and I withhold forgiveness. I want to be better at saying I forgive you to others and to myself. Especially when the pain is deep and the process has been long, I want to be brave enough to say those words. I want to say those words to the people who've hurt me the most. I want to say those words to the people who've hurt me the least. And most of all, I want to say those words to myself with love and freedom and compassion. I forgive you. Because I need forgiveness too for the times when I hurt people and the times when I hurt myself. I need forgiveness for the things that I am not yet able to forgive. Now, if ever. On Tuesday, I'll set out the stress balls and the tissues and the candy and my battery-powered candle. I'll go to the intercom and the nurse's station and say, spirituality group. I don't know who will come but I can guarantee that if the topic is forgiveness, we will have plenty to talk about. I can't wait. I still have so much to learn. I still have so much to forgive. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. 
We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.